Bloody Elbow presents the Hey Not The Face podcast, the show that brings you the business side of combat sports, including contract review, financial analysis, fighter pay issues, and more. Hey Bloody Elbow podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here's your host, John S. Nash, joined by his producer, Steffi Haynes. Hello and welcome to Hey, Not the Face with your host, John Nash, and your producer, me, Steffi Haynes. And today, we're going to talk about Sugar Sean O'Malley. Now, he's fresh off winning the belt just last night, and he's also fairly fresh off signing an eight-fight deal with the UFC back in February. So I guess my first question to you, John, is going to be, how big can he get inside the confines of an eight-fight deal? Well, now seven fights since he fought Aljamain that knocks one off. But then we have the fact that he's a champion. So could you break that part down for us? Well, it's just how convenient we're going to talk about Chigger Sean O'Malley right <laughs> after he wins the title. Look at us. Look at us <laughs> mining, mining the traffic, the the interest, the sudden Google searches for this guy. Uh yeah, well, he's eight, but we don't know the full details. We can kind of assume based on other fighters, deep, you know, what their contracts are and what similar situations. Uh, I do not believe he has nearly as good a deal as Conor McGregor got when um, when he after he beat Chad Mendes and got the interim title. Mm-hmm. His deal, I mean, and Conor's was really undervalued too for what he was offering. But you got to man, Sean O'Malley's getting a, he's going to get a, a bonus based on if he's the champion or not. Probably he might have what's called a side letter letter of agreement that pays him extra on top of that. Uh, so he's, he's easily going to be well paid compared to other UFC fighters in the bantamweight. And as he said in the contract too, he does not unless he's defending champion, he doesn't get pay per view points. So going forward, he will get a pay per view bonus. Uh, probably the standard bonus, maybe, you know, maybe the, because he expects to do very well, maybe he has escalators that go above the $2.5, $2.50 that they usually have when you sell over 600000 But he's got, he's got that going for him. Uh, but how big can he be under that contract? I mean, he can be a major star, other fighters has, but he is definitely limited by how much he can make because that, con- I mean, they said yesterday this this event did more, did $7 million at the gate, that's a massive gate. That's a huge, huge gate number. And it did the most globally of any Bantamweight uh, fight ever in UFC history, uh, pay-per-view. I'm, I imagine most of that's domestic pay-per-view. So it made, financially, it brought in tons of money, but uh, he is not getting a sizable portion of that. And uh, we can break down, you know, what what normally what we could expect a fighter should make from that portion, but... Uh, from those pay-per-views, but he did not get that. Let's just say that. Well, let's hear what a fighter should get from that if they were the champ. Like, let's look at what Aljamain Sterling might have gotten. Well, I mean, Aljamain is uh, is incredibly underpaid. Even though Aljamain is not the draw that uh, the Sugar Sean is, he, he was the champion. I mean, you can see, in, in a weird way, this 
This fight is a perfect example of what the antitrust lawsuit's about and a lot of the evidence that the, the judge brought up, right? Because here you have a fight between two fighters that obviously this fight added much more value than the standard UFC fight. Why? Because they sold more pay-per-views, they did a bigger gate, there was more interest. Now, and that, that's called marginal revenue product. What what Sugar Sean O'Malley, and, and specifically not Sugar Sean by himself, but Sugar Sean versus the champion, Ron Sterling, the chance to be the champion, what those two together added to the, the average event their addition to a card, that additional revenue product is called the marginal revenue product. And theoretically, because they're the people adding that value, you know, you take them off and the UFC does a set them up, but you put them on and it adds that much money. They should get the vast majority of that MRP, marginal revenue product. That should go to them. But they are getting a very – why they added millions upon millions, probably tens of millions of dollars to the event revenue when it's all said and done. They've got a very small percentage of it was paid to them. We know what uh, didn't uh, Sterling say before? He gets like six hundred thousand dollars as champion to defend, or five hundred, four to six hundred thousand in that ballpark, mm-hmm. and plus pay per view points. Well, let's let's pretend this did gangbusters. Let's pretend this did. Let's assume that this sold, let's say six hundred thousand pay per views, right? Which is a great number. Six hundred thousand average pay per view globally is probably bringing in the UFC. Well, they have a set amount from ESPN, which is a whole different story. But the revenue they should make is about that's another twenty million dollars it should add to the, the the to the event on top of the normal you know what they get and plus the gate. So they they make that well Sterling at six hundred thousand pay per views he probably got six hundred thousand extra dollars. So you're talking like a million million point two for an event that brought in close to thirty million dollars on just pay per view and gate plus commercial pay per views we should throw that in. So thirty million he got one million. Sugar Sean, probably because he had no pay-per-view bonus, I'm sure they gave him a discretionary bonus as a reward to kind of keep him motivated and happy, the UFC. But together, you're talking less than 10% of the additional money that they have, they added to the, the company, right? And so both of them were grossly underpaid based on that, based on that. And it's and that's, again, the argument of the antitrust lawsuit is that the fact is that because the way the UFC has set up the system, because the UFC controls the titles, they even which is great, they even, they even bring this up, is that which was not talked about in the hearings much, so I have to assume the judge is a big fan of show money or, my, or the Hey Not the Face podcast because <laughs> we talk about it here. And that is because he even notes uh, that – it is some it is important to note that there's a substantial overlap and strong connection between the input and output market is somewhat unique in MMA. In other words, the, the buyer and seller market, right? This overlap results from the fact that it is common in this industry for the buyers on the input side of the market, fighter services, the people buying fighter services, to generally also be the sellers on the output market of the market by events, bout events. This is because the ranking and championship status of a fighter is also determined by combined sellers, buyers, such as Zufa, and not by an independent third party, such as the Boxing Commission. There's generally no cross-promotion. So he kind of sums it up there. Sugar Sean, because the input market, the, 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 where the top fighters are that makes you a draw, you have to beat these guys to move up the rankings and be recognized as the champion to become a major draw. They're all signed to the UFC in exclusive contracts. He has to agree to the UFC's terms to get offer, a chance to fight these people. So he's getting he has much less negotiating power, can get much less much less of his MRP. And because because they control those titles and ranks and stuff. 
That's the only way he can fight for the championship and increase his value. But he has to give up a ton of his money to do that. And so that kind of this fight kind of sums that up, that argument. Sean came out this past week and talked a lot about how shitty managers are. And we have also talked about that. Do you think there's going to be any pushback from within the UFC brass to him putting his foot down about management and him not willing to play ball? Well, I don't think so on that front, because as long as the management's taking the brunt, the UFC's, I think, happy. That's the that's the purpose of them. Let them take the brunt of the complaints. It's their fault, not the UFC's fault. And so it, that, that serves their purposes. As long as he's directing his ire at managers, who really are terrible, as he, he has a whole interview and he explains it, and they, they serve as brokers. You know, they, their job, they're supposed to have fiduciary responsibility to serve the fighters, but their job is really they are serving the UFC by just getting them, finding them fighters and making sure those fighters sign compliant contracts with the UFC. But as long as he's directing his ire to them, the problem becomes if he does has trouble with the UFC and doesn't negotiate with them uh, and causes headaches for them. And we'll see what happens with his, you know, because he's already turning to boxing, saying he wants mm-hmm. to box. And that's the problem when the, the management fighter problems conflict because UFC typically if you have a manager who's looking out for your interest real interests then they blame the UFC will blame that manager and try to get you directed to a manager that's much more compliant a company friend a broker they'll pay you probably slightly more to sign with this other manager so as long as he's directing his ire his complaints towards the management I don't think the UFC is concerned how much money do you think he could make if he were to box, because he called out Gervonta Davis, but Ryan Garcia jumped in the conversation and actually offered up a fight with himself. So I'm curious if he were able to do something, do you think he could make a ton of money there or not so much? Well, I mean, he won't make a ton of money as long as he's signed to the UFC contract because the UFC will either not let him fight or will be asked for a big cut, right? But I, uh, I think, let me just interject for just a moment. I think what I'm asking is, could he, even though signed to the UFC, make the kind of money that Conor McGregor made? That's what I'm looking for. Oh, he would never make that kind of, there's no, there's no big Mayweather type fight that's going to sell, you know, 4.5 million pay-per-view buys and generate hundreds upon hundreds of millions. Uh, they could, though. I, I do think they would do well enough to generate tens of millions. And if he had a deal, if he was a boxer... And can negotiate directly with these guys. He does seem to have a big enough fan base. He has some appeal that he could ask for a sizable split against them if he was a if he if he was in, on a normal boxing contract. The negotiations were normal. Where maybe against uh, Ryan Garcia, he could ask for a 50-50 split because they're both pretty big stars. You know, uh, against Tank, he's probably going to you know Tank's such a big star now after the Garcia win, he probably has to be like a you seventy know, thirty. But in that case, in both fights, he would make. You know, well into he'd make well into the eight figures, I imagine 10, 15, 20 million, maybe 30. Well, you know, Garcia, uh, Garcia made over 30 million fighting Tank Davis. And if, uh, and you'd have to kind of think that a if he could box, he's good, let's say that Sugar Sean could generate similar interest against Tank. So he would he'd be looking at 25, 30, up to 40 million in that situation. But the, the problem is. One is he's signed the UFC contract. He where where Conor McGregor could threaten the UFC first that he's going to leave, then get the UFC to go along 
and be part of the Mayweather fight. The difference is that generates so much money that even if the UFC took 50% of the money, which is reportedly what they took, McGregor was left with a ton of money. If if Sugar Sean fight generates enough to pay him a $20 million purse or, you know, 15 versus Ryan Garcia or and 25, 30 versus Tank, and the UFC takes 50% of it, well, it's better than what MMA is probably going to pay him. But is it so much better that it's willing, it's, it's worth him going to the risk of to basically try to force the UFC to do that? Mm-hmm. And that's the question. I, I don't know if it's worth that much money, you know. Uh, I guess Tank Davis, 40 million might be, but Tank also has, you know, there's a lot of other fights he could do that probably pay as much or better right now than fighting. I'm not detecting a mass amount of a grassroots interest in a Tank Davis, Sugar Sean O'Malley fight. Last question here. We discussed this one time before with the new changes in the contract saying that the UFC can sort of zip in and assume Uh, ownership or partial ownership of intellectual property and things that make money because obviously they saw that proper number 12 did Iron Man numbers and they don't want any of their fighters to be able to make that kind of money without getting their their cut of it so now that Sean is a you know a champion and his star power is through the roof what happens now if he decides to open a dispensary? What happens if it's successful? He wants to open a chain of them. Well, I mean, that's it, it depends on how the contract's read and what his current contract says. I I, I actually asked around. I, I reached out to Sugar Sean and people around him to get some to find out what was in this contract. I had no response, so I don't know exactly what's in that contract of his. But there's a possibility if the UFC, you know, they, even though it's vague enough, there's a possibility that instead of fighting the UFC, he feels compelled to cut him in. Let's say he makes his own dispensary weed that's a proper 12 or, uh, you know, some other, you know, some other venture. He starts uh, a munchies store, a snack, uh, a snacks for those with munchies that sells a ton that the UFC cuts themselves in on the deal and gets a large percentage of it. So it's no longer just him making all the money. He has to give up a portion of the UFC, which is. It's pretty amazing if that does happen. It's pretty amazing also in the fact that the UFC gets can pay him so little for how much he's drawing because the argument the UFC makes is and fans will make is that the UFC made this guy a star, right? It's the UFC that made him a star, and that's why the UFC deserves a cut of everything. That's why the UFC deserves the majority of the money he generates in his fights, and that's why they're going to argue we deserve a, a cut of whatever – uh, brand you come up with because we're the ones that gave you the platform without which you never would have been a star. But I think it's pretty sugar. Sugar Sean developed the whole, his whole persona. He's the one that's been out there making, building himself up as this person, right? It's not the UFC marketing team that did this. All the UFC did is offer him the chance to fight the best fighters. Cause the UFC had the best fighters locked up under contract. And because, again, we go back to antitrust lawsuit, because the UFC had control of these, into these specific assets, these type of fighters that you have to fight to become famous, because they controlled them, they can dictate terms where Sugar Sean has to give up so much, even though he's the one, his performance is in the cage and his personality outside of it is what's made him a star. And there is also the argument that if they're responsible for this star power, why haven't they made more stars? Yeah, exactly. If that's if they're the ones responsible, they should be able to turn it on a dime. Uh, the other ar- argument I always I always look at is when 
why make them sign long eight-fight contracts, require them to get the better deals? Why do you make them sign super long contracts uh, if you're the you're the attraction and not the fighter? Exactly. If, if the fighter was the attraction and you weren't concerned about them going anywhere else because you knew they couldn't succeed anywhere else, then you wouldn't require these really onerous terms. And then they turn around and say that Mighty Mouse, the reason for all of the low pay-per-view numbers on his cards were due to him, not due to them. Yeah, well, I mean, it's true. Mighty Mouse might not have been the draw of other fighters, but he had some appeal. There was, he had some, you know, there, there were people that did like him. But yeah, they're so amazing at promoters that they have this special sauce like they claim, then they could transform someone like Mighty That's, Mouse. They don't need no, I agree. They don't need the special yeah. they don't need to wait for the unique fighter to show up and then and then say we can turn this guy into a star because if you're so good at it, you could turn almost anybody into a star. You don't need a Conor McGregor, Ronda Rousey, O'Malley, you know, you don't need these Brock Lesnar. You don't need these unique individuals. You should be able to do it to anybody, anybody that becomes a champ, but they can't because these unique individuals are unique. And therein is our point. So on that note, we're going to wrap it up. This was a short shot, but it's 100% free. Please subscribe. If you already subscribe, please share. John, what do you have coming up? I know we just got a brand new show money. What was in that? Uh, we talked about the antitrust lawsuit, uh, the, the the class certification that the judge finally granted. Uh, it's a little bit of deep dive, uh, pretty in-depth. So uh, in hindsight, we probably should have had some explainers at the beginning. We go right into it. But if you're familiar with the case, we go we cover a lot of details in it. Um, I'll probably have an article up. We're going to have a status hearing this week. So I'll probably have an article up. Uh, I think given a quick summary, because there's so many new fans that are probably not familiar with the um, the suit, what it involves, how we got here. So I'll have a summary of all the events, what what it means and what what it possibly means in the future. Uh, and then I got a couple other articles in work. And then I guess next week we'll probably have a full Hey Not the Face podcast. All right. So there you have it, folks. Follow John on Twitter. He is at Hey Not the Face. His direct messages are open. So if you have questions or comments or suggestions for content of this show, please uh, message him. You can also direct message me. My messages are also open. I am Crooklyn MMA on Twitter. So you can hit me there. Our emails are also open. He is heynottheface at gmail.com. I am crooklyn949 at gmail.com. Please send us all of your questions. If you have stuff you want us to dig into, we will. Uh, on that note, y'all know the drill. Until next time, please stay safe. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcasts and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection Main Card and Prelims UFC Preview Shows, the Sixth Round Post Fight Show, the Show Money Podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us.